0: Good morning, Gateway. We can all start making our way to our seats. I know we all love some good fellowship and sharing time. So glad you're able to be with us. We'd like to welcome you here this morning. And for all of you guys in the gym and those watching online, welcome this morning. It's so glad to have you with us to worship the Lord and to enjoy some community together. Just three brief announcements. We mentioned them last week, but just to reiterate some things. Kids, March 14th, a couple weeks away, is our kids' worship time is starting back up. Y'all can go, woo, yeah. Parents, y'all can go. Anyway, two weeks, March 14th, first graders to fourth graders, it's during the sermon. So most of you know the drill, right after our offertory prayer, these doors will open, the kids will make their way out for a fun time over there in the gym of getting deeper in the Word and being together. I want to remind you of a couple of prayer opportunities that we did last week, every Sunday morning, 8 a.m., over in room one in the gym. We would love to have as many of you want to come and enjoy a time of intercession um, on Sunday mornings. And tonight, 4 p.m., here in the sanctuary, is our uh, every other week prayer meeting at 4 o'clock, uh, the second and fourth Sundays of the month. So that is happening tonight here in the sanctuary, 4 p.m., love for you to join us in that opportunity as well. And men, again, it's a little far out, but just to put on your calendar as a reminder, um, the guys that went yesterday, how many guys went yesterday? Hey, you are able to raise your hands. That's good after six miles or so. I had literally teenagers this morning in our Bible study time going, my legs are so sore. I'm like, you're 14. You're, are you kidding me? So anyway, they had a great time yesterday. So men, Overnight backpacking trip, March 26th and 27th. Uh, Details and registration are on the blog. So we just want to encourage you guys to look at that and get ready for the fun trip. All right, if we could please stand. We're going to enjoy some time of worship through singing. To come before the Lord, and I want to just open us up with the time of the Word. This is from Daniel chapter 4. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven... And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can say his hand or say to him, What have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's sing to the Lord this morning.
1: All right, guys, you sing with me. We'll sing the first part of this, and then ladies, you will echo... With Nikki, okay? From the ends. From the ends, of the earth. From the ends of the earth. From the depths of the sea. From the depths of the sea. The heights of the hill. From the heights of the hill. Once again. magnified in power
2: Truly be our vision, be our wisdom, be our everything, be our delight. We cry out to you as our Redeemer, as our Savior. Lord, we want to be completely and totally satisfied in you and you alone. Let nothing else in our hearts compete with priority. Let you be first place. Father... We are so grateful that we can gather here this morning in the name of Jesus Christ that you have given us, you have given us this pleasure. May you be magnified and glorified. May you be well pleased and may we be edified. And Father, we want to pray right now for the college students at Gateway. We pray, Lord, that they would grow in intimacy with you, that they would be the salt and light of the campuses and where they go to school that you would grow them, that they would grow closer to you, that they would be content in you, and that you would give them direction and vision. Father, that you would open their eyes to divine appointments, that they may have the opportunity to share the gospel with the lost or encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we are grateful that you have given us the privilege to participate in the Hope's ministry to Capitol Heights and the families that are in need there. We pray for those families. Lord, we lift them up. There are many, many needs within that Capitol Heights family as well as around this whole community. But in particular, we pray for those families. We pray for wisdom and guidance for Seth and Megan. We thank you, Lord, that you've called them to this ministry, that you have raised them up for such a time as this, and that we as a a body at Gateway can partner with them. And we pray for the volunteers that come alongside them. Thank you, Lord. We we pray that you would multiply the volunteers because the needs are so great. Father, we want to lift up a Pastor Doug McCurry at Legacy Anglican Church. Pray uh, for their community and pray for a gospel impact through their daycare center. Lord, the little ones, the children that people drop off. Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon them and that through that daycare. Seeds of the gospel would be planted in the, in the hearts of these children that you would use to open their hearts to, to receive the gospel. And Lord, you have granted us opportunities to pray and participate in global missions. We pray for the Mongols of Mongolia. They are wrapped up in um, Buddhism and animism. And Lord, we pray for the missionaries there that you would give them a clear message and a clear gospel. Over the past several months, Christians, and we praise you, have been able to distribute and and provide aid to 50 families in the capital city and to families in the AMAG state. We pray, Lord, that you would open the doors for follow-up and to share the gospel with these families. What What a great treasure that has been able to be given to these families. Lord, as we have so many Bibles in our homes, the precious gift of just one copy of the word, Lord, use it. And, and magnify your name. Father, we thank you that you have given us an abundance, each one of us. Lord, we are rich. And we have an opportunity to give back to you what you've given us. Lord, to help us not to hold on to things so tightly as if it's ours. Help us to be freely giving. We thank you for the offerings and pray that you would multiply it for your glory. And finally, Lord, I want to lift up Pastor Grady as he comes and divides the word for us and is going to show us through the power of your holy spirit how to draw closer to you how to learn more about these precious doctrines of of scripture that you've given us so that we may grow lord open our hearts and father may we be more than just hearers but doers of the word and i pray this in christ's name amen
3: well good morning gateway family Oh, y'all sound sleepy still. Good morning, Gateway. Good morning. There we go. It is great to see you this morning. For those here in the sanctuary, for those in the gym and those at home, we're so glad that we get to gather together as a body of Christ to worship the Lord, to sing His praises, to pray as Mark was just praying for us, and now to open God's Word and study His Word together. Friends, what a blessing this is for us. If you were with us last Sunday, I mentioned to you we're starting a new series, new teaching emphasis for the next year here at Gateway. We're calling it Rooted, Grounded in the Word. And as we kind of kick off our new emphasis in our new teaching series for this year, we were looking at two foundational, two fundamental questions to help us understand why we're doing this and how we're doing this. Last week, we looked at the why question. Why is it important to know what we believe? And last week, we turned to Ephesians chapter 4, and we saw the answer to it. The reason it's important to know what we believe is for our own good, for the good of one another in the church, and for the good of the lost. And we saw just the impact there is in us knowing what we believe, that it grows us spiritually, it grows us into Christ-likeness. And the more we know what we believe, the more it makes us stable in such an unstable world. We also saw the benefit that comes to one another as we go deeper into what we believe, and that helps unify us as believers together. But it also helps us grow and encourage each other to growth. We saw last week as well that the more we know what we believe, the better we are able to together as a body of believers make Christ known to a world around us that does not know him. Much is at stake in knowing what we believe. That is the why. Now today we turn to the how. How are we going to go deeper and help each other know what we believe? So there's a question for us for the morning that I want you to see, and that's this. How do we help each other become more rooted And what we believe. So, kind of following the pattern we're going to do this year, there's a question that we're going to dig into God's word to find the answer. So, how do we help each other become more rooted in what we believe? How do we help each other grow spiritually? We're going to do two things this morning to do that. Number one, we're going to look at scripture. I want us to look at a a particular text. So, find Colossians chapter 3 this morning, because in Colossians 3, we see an answer from God's word about how we're to relate and how we're to help each other grow. Once we unpack Colossians 3 this morning, then we'll tell you some practical things we as a church are going to offer this year to help us become more rooted together in God's Word. Now, as you look at Colossians, as we start reading in it this morning, you're going to see a lot of similarities to what we looked at in Ephesians. The text we were in last week, but also what we studied as a church family two years ago. And there's a reason they're similar. They're written the same year. Both Both Colossians and Ephesians were written around AD 62, Paul was in prison when he wrote both of these, and he was writing to help churches in particular cities, and Ephesians was written to the believers in Ephesus, this was written to the people in the town of Colossae. And what we're going to pick up this morning is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. We're in the middle of a section here where Paul is telling us how our lives are to be different if we're a Christian. He's showing us what, what we call a new life in Christ looks like, that if we're a follower of Christ, this is what should be different in our Lives Before the verses we get to this morning, Paul has told us what we're to put off. If you think about Paul's language, we studied Ephesians. To follow Christ, we put off, we get rid of our lives, certain things that are not Christ-like. But then we intentionally put on, we add to our lives by God's grace certain virtues, certain Christ-like things we should do. So the verse we come to this morning in Colossians 3 is in the middle of this, what it looks like to walk with Christ. It's in the middle of the section about what we put on, what we're to add to our lives. So as we look at Colossians 3.16, I want you to be looking for how do we help each other grow in what we believe, and we'll find the answer right here. So I'm going to ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse number 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, I pray this morning in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, God, that you would deepen us in our love for your word and our desire for your word and our just heart to talk about your word with one another. So take your word and apply it to our lives as only you can, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. So our question for the morning, how do we help each other become more rooted in what we believe? Here's the idea I want you to see from Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Simply this, God calls us to intentionally discuss the Bible with one another to help each other grow. It's not a hard answer to the question here. What is God's design for you and I to get rooted, to go deeper in the Word of God? And it's to help one another. It is to us be discussing the Bible with one another. Because this is the normal Christian life. This is not just for the pastors and elders not just for the deacons and the Sunday school teachers. If we are a follower of Christ, this is His expectation for us, is that we are putting on, we are seeking to regularly do something, and that's to be talking about the Bible and how it affects us with one another so we can help each other become rooted, so we can help each other be grounded in the Word. I want you to see that in Colossians 3 this morning. So let's go back to Colossians 3, verse number 16. And in this, there's only one command here in this whole text. And I want you to see this at the very beginning of verse 16. It's simply this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the only command we have here is let the word of Christ dwell in you. Everything else that follows, teaching, admonishing, singing... These would be what we call participles. These are supporting the idea. The only imperative, the only command, the only verb here for us is this, to so let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So let's start with that command this morning. The emphasis of this command is the Word of Christ. Now, it's the only place in the whole New Testament you see this phrase, the Word of Christ. So what does it mean? Well, some people have unfortunately interpreted this to mean, well, this only means the words Jesus spoke. To so be the things that are recorded for us in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, Yes, that's certainly the words of Christ, but this word is, carrying, is conveying something much more. This is all the words about Christ, everything that points to Christ. In fact, some of your translations may actually translate this the words about Christ. One translation even translates this the words about the Messiah. The idea of this phrase here is anything that points to Christ. Now, if you think back to last week, we were talking about different ways to approach the big picture of Scripture, one we call biblical theology— And biblical theology looks at Genesis to Revelation. That's what our kids do in in the kids' Bible study on Sunday mornings. And what we saw in that is that all of Scripture points to Christ. All the Old Testament is pointing to Christ, and all the New Testament is pointing back to Christ. So what are the words about Christ? It's the whole Bible. It is all of the Scripture. So when Paul talks about here the Word of Christ, he's talking about the totality of Revelation, of Genesis to Revelation that has been given to us. In fact, Paul uses this in a similar way, a different phrase, but conveying the same thing. If you look back in Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In Colossians 1, verse 4, he talks about, "...since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints." So this, "...because of the hope laid up for you in heaven." "...of this you have heard," and notice this phrase, "...the word of the truth, the gospel." So Paul's using some terms interchangeable here. "...the word of Christ, the word of truth, and the gospel." And he means the same thing by all of those. When he talks about the word of Christ here, he's talking about the word of truth from chapter 1. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about all of scripture is pointing us to Christ. Now, friends, before we go on, I don't want that just to be an academic statement for us to embrace. Don't miss the wonder of this. That God in his mercy has given us the revelation of who Christ is, who God is. He did not have to do this. God could have left us lost in our sins, but God in His kindness has chosen to reveal Himself to us and has put it in writing for us and allowed it to be translated in languages all around the world so we can read with our own eyes His specific revelation to us about who He is. Don't miss the wonder of the fact friends. we get to hold in our hands the Word of Christ. We get to read in our own language the Word of Christ. We get to see the words that point us to Christ from the beginning to the end of the Scripture. He's given it to us in His kindness. Now, I pray that we catch the wonder of that, but that then raises the question for us. As if God has given us this word of Christ, this grace gift to us, what are we to do with it? We have it, now what are we to do with it? And that's the command, if you go back to Colossians 3 and go back down to verse number 16. And the command is quite simply, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the command here, the verb, the imperative in the Greek, it's let dwell He's told us it's the word of Christ. all of Scripture. Now the command to you and I, we have the word of Christ before us, is now let it dwell within us. Now dwell is kind of an older English word, isn't it? I've never had anyone in my four and a half years of Gateway be like, I'd like you to come to my dwelling this weekend. Like, we just don't talk about that. Hey, I want you to come have a meal in my dwelling place. Like, We, we don't talk about that, but, th- but that's still an English word. In fact, I see it on my insurance forms, my homeowner's insurance every year. It talks about your dwelling coverage, right? That word still exists, but to dwell simply means to live or to abide. To dwell means you're living, you're abiding somewhere. And if you think about the word dwell, it's not a passive word, it's a very active word, isn't it? If you dwell somewhere, you have made a choice, you've intentionally put your money, your time, and your efforts into a particular place that you're going to call home. Dwelling is active, it's intentional, it's where you're choosing to live your life, and your life fills the rooms of that house. So if you visit my house, You're not going to wonder, do Grady and Julia and their kids really dwell here? You're going to be tripping over Legos and blocks and connects and dolls and toy kitchen things, right? You're going to be tripping over that because we dwell there, and there's evidence that we dwell there because our lives fill the rooms of that house. That is the image that Paul is trying to convey for us here, is that when we come to the Word of God, it's not just some curiosity thing for us. It's something that's to dwell within us. It's to abide in us. It's to fill all the rooms of our house if you will just the way that toys and books fill the rooms of our house so the word of God is to fill the rooms of our life and it's to affect every part of us and Paul uses one word here in verse 16 to try to help us capture how God's word should fill all of us notice in verse 16 here that the word of Christ dwell in you what's the next word richly the word of God the scriptures all the scriptures are to dwell to abide to live in us in a rich way richly now, when we think of the word rich, we think of money, right? That's what our minds always go to, usually, when we hear the word rich. But the word rich is a lot broader than that in Scripture here. This word that we translate richly is the Greek word plousios. Think of the word plus here. When you hear it, it's plousios. It's, it means more. It means abundantly. It means generously. It's not necessarily tied to money. This word richly is just a word that means abundantly, generously, a lot of something. In fact, you see it used this way later in the Scriptures in Titus chapter 3, Verse 5, once you see that up on the screen, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it talks about that He, God, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, now notice verse 5, six, verse 6 here, whom He poured out on us, what's the next word? Rich. Richly, that God poured out into us very richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit has been given to us by God richly, abundantly, generously to fill all of us. The guy gives us the Holy Spirit richly to dwell in us, to abundantly fill us, to shape our whole lives. And likewise, he's given us the word of God with, with the intent that his word would dwell in us, would fill us, would abundantly shape our lives. Do you notice how that goes hand in hand here? Because the Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer takes the word of God as we expose ourselves to the word of God and he applies it to all those rooms of our life. He fills our lives with it. He takes what we're exposed to in the word and he shapes us through that. But to do so, friends, he has, to have, he has to have us exposing ourselves to the word, doesn't he? I heard an image one time from an author I was reading. And he said, too often our lives are like a fort. I don't know if you ever go to the beach and visit like Fort Morgan or places where you get to walk through the old forts and see what it used to be like. And in every old fort, there's an armory room, right? There's a place where all the munitions were stored so that they could fight and defend themselves. This author said that we're kind of like that, that we are like a fort, but we're under attack every day. We're under attack from our own desires, from the world around us, from the enemy trying to trip us up. So we're under attack daily. And he said the image is like the Holy Spirit goes into our ammunition room to get ready to help us defend ourselves from the attack that we're on. So we're rooted and grounded. And he finds John 3.16, and the rest of the room is empty. And I think so often that's a, too much of an image of what our lives are like, that we are not taking the time to fill our minds, to fill our lives, to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, and we wonder why we keep struggling, we wonder why we keep falling, when we haven't filled our lives with the ammunition of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit can use to anchor us and stabilize us with whatever life brings. So the command for us is to not be that way. God's will is not for us to be that way. He wants us stable. He wants us anchored in The Word of God. And the command for us then is to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, how do we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly? When we think about this, friends, we often think about personal Bible study, devotion time, reading the Word, and that's good, and we need to be doing that. We must not neglect that. That's not what Paul's talking about here. The second thing our minds typically might go to when we think about letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly Would be making sure we're involved in small groups at church and corporate worship services where we study the word in that type of community setting. And that's good, but that's not what Paul is talking about here either. Now, we need to do both those things, but Paul has something else in view here when he talks about how the word dwells in us richly. And friends, it requires community, it requires one another, it requires us being involved in each other's lives. We cannot let the word of Christ dwell in us richly the way Paul is writing to us here in isolation. We cannot live out this command by ourselves. This requires something much more from one another. Let's go back to verse 16 here, and I've got an easy question for you in verse 16 here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, in English, English doesn't do justice to translating the Bible sometimes, because our you is so nonspecific, right? But in the Greek, there's a specific you for plural, people together. And there's a you that's single just for you. When it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, is this just an individual me and Jesus command or is this a community command? Which one do you think? It's community, it's plural, right? The more literal translation would be, let the Bible dwell richly within all of y'all, right? If we want to go southern on this. This is a y'all version of you right here that could fit into this particular spot here. This is a plural command for us that we are to, together as believers, be letting the Word of Christ, all of Scripture, dwelling richly in us. That we're to be helping each other in community, letting the Word of God go deep into each of our lives. It means we, need to, we have to be in community to live out this command. And in the New Testament, the community that always is what's held up is the, is the local church. That's why we emphasize so much being part of a local church, because we need that for one another. Now, how do we together live out this command to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly? Well, I mentioned at the beginning, there's three participles that follow. These participles kind of explain how you live out the command. So look back at verse number 16 for us here. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, here you go. Number one, teaching. Number two, and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And number three, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So Paul gives us three impair, or sorry, three participles here to tell us how to obey the command that as we're to be teaching, admonishing, and singing. Now the singing is a sermon for another day. I don't have time this morning to do justice to all that. That's not our focus this morning. But I do want you just very quickly to notice the connection here between singing and teaching and instruction. In the church. By God's design, our songs are to be songs of worship to Him, but they're also to be songs to instruct each other. We sing what we sing to worship God, but also to build up one another in the church. This is not a concert. That's why we don't just stand here and listen to Justin and Nikki and the other singers sing. This is a chance for us together to proclaim as an act of worship to God what we believe and to encourage one another and to teach one another as we sing, reminding each other of the gospel truths. That we sing. That's why we're so careful here about what we sing about, and so grateful for Justin's oversight of that for us. And that's a sermon for a whole other day. But today I want us to focus on these first two participles here that tell us how do we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. And Notice those next two words here. It's, it's, we're told to do this by teaching and admonishing one another. So how do we, as community of believers, help each other grow and being rooted in the Word? We teach each other and we admonish one another me remind you, friends, again, this is written to every believer. This is not just instruction for the pastors, elders, deacons, and Sunday school teachers. If you are in Christ, this is God's instruction for you. It is His will for you that you be open to letting other believers into your life to teach and admonish you, but to you likewise be getting into other believers' lives to teach and admonish them. This is a normal Christian life. It is a two-way street where we're teaching and admonishing, and others are teaching and admonishing us that we're all in this together. Now, what do these words mean? Teaching? Well... It means teaching, right? Teaching just means we're communicating truth to someone else so they understand it. The goal of teaching is understanding. So we're in each other's lives trying to help make sure we understand something together. But how about this word admonishing? It's a different word. And it communicates something with a little bit more passion than teaching. Though teaching has passion, this idea of admonishing takes that passion to a whole different level here. When you're admonishing, you're strongly encouraging or you're warning. So if you're admonishing someone, you're strongly encouraging them or you're warning them. This can be about their behavior. This can also be about their beliefs. So you can admonish, you can encourage, you can correct, you can warn about beliefs or about behavior. So the idea here is if you're in a relationship with another Christian and they're struggling to do what is right, you're encouraging them to do that what is right, even though it's hard. You're admonishing them. If you're in a relationship with another believer and they're struggling to think correctly because we all struggle to think correctly at different times, you're there to help them think correctly when they're struggling to do so. Friends, the reality is any one of us can be deceived by the enemy. Because any of us can be lured away by sin. And so we need each other to teach and admonish one another. And isn't that what we just saw at the end of James? If you think back just a few weeks ago when we finished our year-long journey through James, James chapter 5, verse 19. I want you to see that up on the screen because the very last few verses of James 5, 19 says, my brothers, and that's to all believers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, someone admonishes him, look what happens. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner, whoever is taught and admonished to help this, this believer will, from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover A multitude of sins. We have a God-given responsibility to do that with each other. And back here in Colossians 3, Paul just summarizes what James basically said: this idea of we're teaching and admonishing one another. Don't you notice something here? What we teach and admonish with, and how we teach and admonish, is also very important. And Paul doesn't neglect that as well, because there's a right and a wrong way to teach and admonish. First, let's start with the content. What do we teach and admonish one another with? Well, Paul tells us very specifically. Our teaching and admonishing is not how to have the best Disney vacation on the planet, not how to be the most effective coupon, or how to fix your car. That was not wrong to talk about those things and help each other with with life in general. That's not in view here. Like, if you want to go talk about roller coasters with me, I'll take you to a cup of coffee, and we'll talk about the best theme parks in the country, and that's fun. But that's not teaching and admonishing. That's not what is in view in this text. The focus here is teaching and admonishing Scripture, sharing the Bible with one another. Again, go back to verse Sixteen. Let the Word of Christ, the totality of Scripture, dwell in you richly. You notice this, teaching and admonishing one another in all what? In all what? Wisdom. Now, where do we find wisdom? It's in the Word of God. If we want to teach and admonish one another, the calling is to do that with Scripture. I don't teach you with my opinions. You don't teach me with your opinions. We don't admonish one another on how I wish you had done things instead. We go to one another with the Bible open, with the Scriptures, to help one another this is the very thing we saw in ephesians last week i want you to see it up on the screen ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 this incredible text for us that we're to speak the truth in love remember from last week it literally says just truthing in love that the truth is the gospel message of scripture and our command is to speak the word of god in love to one another so that each other grows up that is the content with which we're to do that but the attitude is important as well ephesians four fifteen. he already tells us a little bit we're to speak the truth in what Speak the truth in what? You know we can speak the truth and not love the person, right? We've probably all been tempted to do that at times. But we just want to let the person have it and tell them the truth. That's not what it means to teach and admonish. It's just speaking the truth in love as well. Paul tells us the same thing back in Colossians 3, but go up to verse 12. Just look up a few verses ahead of what we looked at this morning. In Colossians number 3, verse 12, he tells us to put on then, again, this imagery of what we add to our lives, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So we need to make sure as we're seeking to fulfill this command to teach and admonish each other that that is the attitude we do it with. We don't teach other people as one above them. We teach someone else as Because we love them and we're all in this journey together. And I need you to teach me as I teach you. We need to come into that with that understanding that we all need to be taught. We all need to be admonished. And so we do this with compassionate hearts where you want God's best for me and I want God's best for you. Therefore, we teach and admonish one another. It's the imagery of us humbly walking alongside each other to help each other. So with an attitude then of compassionate hearts, of kindness, of humility, of meekness and patience. Then go back to verse 16. Then what we do in that place is we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. If you want a beautiful picture of what this looks like practically lived out, there's obviously lots in scripture that we could look to. But I want you to see something in 1 Samuel chapter 23. This is a beautiful Old Testament example of what it looks like to admonish someone else who's your friend. In 1 Samuel 23 in verse 15, you see the situation. King David is in a tough place. King David who wrote many of the psalms that we love to look to. So King David saw that Saul had come to seek his life. So Saul was coming after to try to kill David. David. He didn't want David to be king so he was in a trial, a huge test here, a very difficult situation. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. Now look at verse 16, what happens here. Here's a beautiful example of admonishing because Jonathan, who's one of David's friends, Jonathan, Saul's son, Rose and went to David at Horesh. Now, it Notice the initiative here of David's not calling his friend, hey, I'm struggling, you can you come help me? Jonathan knows his believing friend is struggling, so he goes to David and he's, notice this, and he strengthened his hand in God. Friends, that is a phenomenal expression we need to get our mind around. This, that Jonathan went and strengthened David's hand in God. David was a man who wrote much of the Psalms, he was a man who was called a friend of God, he walked closely with God, but he was struggling at this point. And his friend Jonathan wasn't afraid to go to his friend, who was was to be the king, who was in a place of influence above him, and to go to him to strengthen his hand in God. And how did he strengthen his hand in God? If you go to verse 17, you see that. He basically is going to remind David of what God had already revealed. And he, Jonathan, said to him, David, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. See, God had already revealed through the prophets that David was to be king. And so what Jonathan does here, he strengthens David's hand, not by saying, hey, dude, it's going to be okay, just hang in there. He points him back to God's revelation. He points him back to what God has said was going to happen, to strengthen his hand so he didn't forget the promises of God. Friends, that is the example for us. That is what Paul is telling us to be doing back to Colossians 3.16 with one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Friends, our command is to be doing the same thing, to not be waiting for people to come to say, hey, I'm having a hard day, but for us to be in community, proactively pursuing relationships with one another so we can strengthen each other's hand in God by pointing people back to the revelation of God, to the Scriptures. Our call is to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly and to help each other let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. See, God calls us to intentionally be discussing the Scriptures, the Bible, with one another to help each other grow. It's easy for us sometimes, we're talking about this on our men's hike yesterday, so easy for us to talk about football and sports and politics and the weather and all these things, but God calls us to go deeper than that. He calls us to be intentional, to be talking about the scripture with one another because we need to be strengthened with it and be strengthening one another with that. Now that raises the, that's the, that's the practical, that's the, the reason from scripture of what we're to do. Now the practical question comes, how are we as a church family going to do that this year? Well, one, we're going to keep doing a lot of things we normally do. We're going to keep preaching verse by verse through text on Sunday mornings. We still offer you small groups to go deep in God's Word. Like our kids are going through biblical theology, Genesis to Revelation. Our teenagers are studying with the youth ministry team, Doctrine and Dogma, to go deep into what we believe and why. We have a bunch of adult classes. We have ladies' Bible studies. Even in the middle of our men's hike yesterday, we sat down by Lake Martin for 30 minutes yesterday and had a devotion and talked about God's Word and prayed. Friends, We want to be a church to where the Word of God permeates All those things, and we're going to keep doing all of that. We're going to do something a little bit different this year on top of that. We're not changing anything else like that. We're going to keep doing all those things to keep the Word before us in our community. We're going to do something a little bit different through our Sunday morning gatherings, and hope it trickles over into the week. We're going to do something to help us intentionally grow. It's something we call a catechism. Now, this may be a new word for you, but we're going to catechize each other this year. Doesn't it sound kind of scary that we're going to be a church which catechizes one another? Well, the idea of a catechism, you may not be familiar with it, it's pretty uncommon now, but it was, really, it was really common in Christian history until about 100 years ago. It was something that has shaped so much of what we believe and shaped so much of the church. What is a catechism? A catechism is simply a series of questions and answers to help us grow. That's all it is. There's nothing too—I mean, it sounds scary that we're going to be catechizing, but all a catechism is is a series of questions and answers as a teaching approach to help one another grow. Throughout church history, there have been really famous catechisms that have really shaped the direction of the church. There's a very famous one called the Westminster Catechism that was written in the 1600s. But friends, it has 196 questions and answers. So a few hundred years ago, it was very common, not just for churches, but for families to study all 196 questions and to memorize all 196 questions as answers so the church could grow deeper and being rooted in the Word. So that was a little bit longer, so they made a shortened catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and they reduced it to about 107 questions to study and memorize. So these have been really influential. A lot of the authors you hear me quote, most of the authors you'll pick up in the resource center are people who have been shaped by the great catechisms of the faith of before. But we're not going to use those particular ones. Can you imagine me trying to preach 196-question catechism? We'd be in it for a decade, wouldn't we? Like, it would take us forever to get through something like that as a church family. But four years ago, a new catechism was made based on the tradition of all the stuff I've mentioned before. But they simplified it to a 52-question answer catechism. It was something called the New City Catechism. It was written by the Gospel Coalition. If you follow the Gospel Coalition blogs, it's a phenomenal group. And they partnered with Tim Keller, a pastor up in New York, who's a gifted author, who's really gifted at engaging non-believers with the gospel. And they wrote a modern catechism for us with our needs in view called the New City Catechism. It's got the truth of the great catechisms of before, but simplified and adjusted to help us be able to learn it. So that's going to be our guide for our rooted study this year, the 52 questions of the New City Catechism. Now, notice that it's going to be our guide. If you've been around Gateway a well, while, you know I can't leave well enough alone, Right? We're going to combine a few because they go well together. We're going to also expand a few and spend a few weeks on certain ones that I want us to go deeper on. So we're going to make the 52-week catechism into a 56-week study to help us go deeper into being rooted in the Word of God. Now, my heart behind this, friends, and the heart of the elder team behind why we want to do this is we want this to go beyond Sunday mornings. We want to cultivate a culture at Gateway where we are teaching and admonishing one another, where we're doing what we just saw in Colossians 3, to where we are talking about the scriptures together with our families, with our friends, and our small groups, to where the normal pattern for us is not to do away with the fun, silly conversations, but to make, help us have bridges to go deeper into gospel conversations. Now to do that, again, that's going to be our guide for the next 56 weeks. We'll take a question from the catechism, we'll look at the answer, but we'll go into a passage of scripture. So next week we'll start with question one, what is our only hope in life and death? And we'll go to one text of Scripture, we'll unpack it just like we did in Colossians, and we'll discover the answer and we'll be able to learn it. But the hope is that during the week after we've preached, it's not just like, oh, what happened last Sunday, but you will have tools to help you review the truth of the catechism during the week. So we have several things for you this morning. You know, I like to give out books, right? First is they put the catechism in book form. It's called the New City Catechism. It is an amazing little book because it's got all 52 questions and answers into nice sections. God, Creation in the Fall, where we're starting this week. Next Sunday's um, sermon, What is Our Only Hope in Life and Death? And the answer is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. And so we're going to go deeper in that. And so when you leave this morning, we have a copy for every family. There's a table at the back door there, it has a huge stack of these. For those worshiping in the gym, the table right behind you, where you come in, right behind where you're sitting, has got these. If you head out the, towards the preschool, we also have some in the resource center. These are free. There's no cost for you. We want to provide this for you, so take one of those per family. And the hope of this is that you will be able to review this during the week. So during the week, when you've we've, we've listened to the sermon next Sunday on what is our only hope in life and death, but you don't let a week pass until you think about it again, but you can flip back open, and there's a scripture at the bottom of each one. You can be like, okay, I want to go deeper in that and read the scripture and to think more about it. Now, the fun thing for our families in this is every question has a short answer and a long answer. They have a a longer answer for us adults if we can handle this. They have a shorter answer to help our kids. So, for example, next Sunday, what is our only hope in life and death? What the kids are going to be learning is that we're not our own, but belong to God. What the adults are going to learn is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. they got a simplified one for the kids, and adults, it's okay if we need to do the simplified one as well, but there's a longer one to help us go deeper into this, So to help our kids as well, we have the shorter kids version in this. And every kid, hey kids from Sunday school, hold it up if you got it with you. So our kids hopefully already got this in Sunday school this morning. If you didn't, when you leave this morning, boys and girls, Miss Molly is, is at the preschool checking desk. She's got more of these. They're also in the resource center. We want every kid, not just one per family, we want every kid to have their own one of these. So you can be reviewing it as well. So again, next Sunday's question is right there on the first page. What is our only hope in life and death? And there's the shorter kids answer, that we are not our own but belong to God. Our hope in this is that we will go deeper in reviewing this during the week. But we're in the 21st century, so they made something even easier for us. They made a free app of this as well. Yeah, seriously on this. There's a free app and it's even better than the book. I like I'm normally a book person, but the app is even better than the books. You can look for it later. You can it's okay if you pull out your phone right now and go to your Google Play Store or if you're an Android person like me or go to your App Store whatever the Apple one is. I'm not an Apple person, but Pull it up and look for the New City Catechism. It's a free download. In that, you find every question, you find every answer. But at the bottom of each one, you will find a place to click. And there's a scripture reference, so you can go read the scripture for yourself right there in the app. There's a, you click a button of praying hands. There's a sample prayer you can pray to learn how to pray these truths back to God. So they're not just intellectual, but you're responding to it. But the best part of all, with every question and answer, there's a song. Because if you're like me, I remember music more than I'm able to remember just outlines. So my kids can ask me something, they'll be like, what are you singing? What's a song I heard in the 80s? How do you remember that? I don't know. It was 30 years ago, but I remember songs from the 80s. Music gets stuck in our mind, right? So they've taken these 52 questions, and they put every single question to music so we can hear it during the week. So if you get the app, you just push the, the button with a song button next to it, and it'll play the question and answer to a song to help you be able to learn it. What our hope and prayer is, is with you having the book per family, every kid having one, you having the app, you are equipped and resourced to be able to review and, and talk to one another about it. Now, if you want to go even deeper, these are not free, but they're in the resource center. They've written a devotional to go with each one. Think of it as a commentary. So if you want to go deeper, particularly parents, if you want to better understand it, for every question, there's like several pages of truth to help you understand why we believe what we believe. So if you're wanting to go deeper and go, then beyond just the question and answer, there's tools. Those are in the Resource Center as well. Our hope in this is it gives us the practical tools to live out Colossians 3. Practical tools to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, that we can take what we discuss on Sunday morning, and you have tools on your app and the book, and the booklets you have to review it all week long. And if during the course of this year, at the end of the year, we have these 52 key truths and doctrines in our mind, friends, it'll root us, it'll anchor us for all the hardships of life. I want to say a particular word right now to moms and dads. So I want to, I guess, in Paul's words, I want to give an, an admonition to you. I want to admonish you for just a second as I admonish myself on this one. See a verse on the screen, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. This is an incredible command from the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 6, we're told, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So just stop right there, moms and dads. We have a command to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. It has to start there. If we want to get into our kids' hearts, it's got to start with the Word of Christ dwelling richly in us. You can't expect to relegate our kids to the church and then learn the Word of God. It's got to be an overflow of our own heart of going deep in the Word. But then out of that, verse 7 that follows. So as to be in our home. You shall teach them these truths of God's Word. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you light out, and when you rise. Basically, in all situations that our command is for us to be talking about the Word of God with our kids. Now, friends, life is busy. Life is hard. I get that. It is a struggle to balance that. What we're trying to put into our hands here are tools to help us get in the pattern of doing this. So many families know this is a struggle to get in the pattern of talking about the Bible every day in our homes, around the dinner table. We've given you tools now to help us do that that all week long our hope is around the dinner table before your kids go to bed at night. You can pull back the, the app on your phone because if you're like me, your phone's with you all the time, right? Push the New City Catechism app, put it on your home screen there and be able to say, hey, let's sing the song here. Let's review it. Let's read the scripture together. And you have everything you need between your book and your kids' books they can put by their bed, between the app. You've got so many ways to have reminders to keep the word before you. And I hope, parents, you will do that. So kids, if your parents forget... Ask them, it's okay. Say, "Hey, mom and dad, we didn't review the catechism today." You know, remind them of that, and just let's make it a pattern as families to be trying to teach and admonish one another, so the word of Christ dwells in us richly. But friends, this is not just for parents with young kids. This is for all of us. Like we saw last week, we all need to be rooted. We all need to be grounded in the word of God, so that we can help one another, so we can share the gospel, of all, so we can be stable and mature ourselves. So I hope even if whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're empty nester, whether you're single, whether you're a teenager or a college student, I hope you will grab these tools and use them as just simply that as tools to help us live out Colossians 3, to let the word of Christ dwell in us. richly. And I hope that small groups and friends, when you're together, when you're hanging out at Prevail Union downtown, that you're sitting there and you say, hey, let me talk about what, what are you learning in the catechism this week? What is this truth doing for you? And that this will just become the normal pattern for us as a church family of talking about the Word of God with one another. So how do we help each other become more rooted in what we believe? Quite simply, by intentionally discussing the Bible with one another. Friends, you don't have to use the New City Catechism to do that. You don't have to use these tools to do that. The command here is to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in front of that we teach and admonish. Whatever that looks like, please do. But these are tools we hope to provide to you, to utilize, to help you do that. Let's become people who are intentional at letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, I do pray for myself and for these precious friends here, Lord, that you would make us a people who are really rooted in your word. God, that even this week in each of our hearts, that you would just stir our hearts and stir our affections, Lord, to desire your word to want more of your word, to want to read it individually, to want to read it with our families, to want to read it with our friends, to want to just to hunger and thirst for your word, because God, we want to hunger and thirst for you. But we can't produce that in our hearts. Lord, I can't make my heart want your word. But God, your Holy Spirit, who dwells within us so abundantly, can create these desires in us. So Lord, in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters, we would ask this week that the Holy Spirit would so fill us and so stir our affections that we find a deeper hunger than we've ever felt before to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. What I pray is that we feast on your Word this week, that it was so satisfying, so we just want more and more, and that we would just hunger and thirst after you. Lord, I thank you that you provide us with tools to think that we're in a place and in a culture and a time where we can have commentaries and catechism books for kids and adults and apps on our phone to remind us of these things. Lord, thank you for these tools, but Lord, we know that these tools aren't going to change our hearts, only you can. So I pray we'd use these tools wisely, but Lord, ultimately, we would look to you as one who sanctifies us, who grows us, who shapes us, who is molding us into being the people you want us to be. And Lord, in the end, we just pray that you'll be glorified, Lord, as we are transformed as your people through the power of your word and your Holy Spirit living within us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, friends, as we're about to sing our closing psalm this morning? And I mentioned this, we sung this last week. We're going to sing it again today. Because this is basically a catechism put to music. Again, I know the idea of a catechism may seem strange or different to you, but this is all a catechism is. We're asking a question What is our only hope in life and death? And then we're going to proclaim the answer together Christ alone, Christ alone. As I said earlier, we do this to worship God. We proclaim these truths, we're acknowledging God's greatness and His glory, and we're singing to Him. We're also singing this to build up one another. Because, friends, I need reminders of what is my hope in this life, and you need reminders of what is your hope. So as we sing this congregation together, we're affirming one another, we're encouraging, we're teaching, we're admonishing one another through song as we worship the Lord. So let's do that together.
1: What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence That our souls to Him belong Who holds our days within His hand What comes apart from His care? And what will keep us to The love of Christ in which we stand, and those see.
3: before I close this in prayer, I want us to try what we did last week. Give you the question. I want us to proclaim together the answers. Our question is, how do we help each other become more rooted in what we believe? And here's our answer. Let's put it back up on the screen there. Let's say it together, friends. God calls us to intentionally discuss the Bible with one another to help each other grow. Father, we pray you'll give us grace to do that this week. To be intentional about discussing your word with our friends, in our small groups, with co-workers, anywhere we cross our paths with other believers. Help us be intentional to discuss your word and go into deep conversations so we can help one another be rooted in what we believe. And we pray as we do that that your word will be alive to us and rich and like a feast to us. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget to pick up books on the way out. Have a great afternoon, Gateway family.